Hi, folks, and welcome. This is the Man Overseas Podcast, Episode 6. If you're listening for the first time, we talk about financial independence and self-development, making good use of time. Uh, sometimes I like to have guests join me, and today is one of those times. I've been fortunate to meet some very interesting people through the blog from around the country and around the globe even. But today, I'm going to keep it close to home. <laughs> in fact, I'm going to keep it in the family. That's because I'm going to talk to my brother, Scott D'Antonio. He was born in the Bicentennial, for you history buffs listening. <laughs> so he's four years older than I am. Um, he's a husband and father of three, two boys and a girl. If someone asks him, what do you do? He is a pharmacist. In fact, he is the director of pharmacy at St. James Parish Hospital in South Louisiana. And although I may ask him what a day in the life of a legalized drug dealer looks like, uh, there's another reason I asked him to be on the show today. Um, he has a powerful story that I've asked him to share. So, Scott, are you there? Welcome to the Man Overseas Podcast. How are you today, brother? Hello, Brad. Thanks for the invite. Uh, I've probably known you the most, the longest of anybody on earth. So That is true. <laughs> that is true. And I just called you Scott three times, which is probably more than I've used it in 30 years, right? Your first name? Right. And you're actually, your real name is Bradley, which I called you for numerous years also. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't sure what to call you because you've had so many nicknames, right? Uh, it's kind of interesting how that happens. It seems like every place I went, I went to school in Monroe, Louisiana, uh, gathered some nicknames there, uh, certain jobs. I got different nicknames. Uh, moved to different places, got new nicknames. So I, I'm not sure how that works all the time. Hopefully that means people like you when they give you nicknames. <laughs> yeah. Um, when you were in Monroe, Louisiana, what was your nickname there? Actually, a lot of my friends in pharmacy school called me Sack. <laughs> <laughs> and why did they call you Sack? <laughs> Interesting enough, uh, we went to the grocery store one night and they had a guy bagging groceries there with the name Sack, S-A-C. <laughs> and when we got back from the grocery, one night I left a message on their machine while we were studying. And there are some lyrics to a Dr. Dre song that first <laughs> that. And I left that on their answer machine. And from then on out, my nickname was Sack. <laughs> nice. And as an adult, you have been referred to as Farm D, right? On the radio and Haven't Farm you D. Radio? Is, Go ahead. Farm D is my nickname at the place that I work now. Uh, Farm D is a degree that a lot of people get in pharmacy school now. It's really the only degree offered. And I graduated in the last class that did not have a Farm D degree. So part of the joke is, yeah, I'm not really Farm D, but <laughs> that's my name. Nice. So nowadays, people have to go to pharmacy school for a longer duration of time. Is that right? That's true. When I was in school, I finished up in five years uh, without going to summer school. So um, at 22, I was a pharmacist. Mm. Nowadays, uh, it's, it's between seven and eight years uh, with a focus on residency, which will keep you in school for another two to three years. So uh, it's a very... Uh, thorough and advanced degree now and uh, back when I was in school it was only five years so wow 
So how many years in school are you total nowadays? It's at least seven. I think it's three undergrad, maybe four in pharmacy school. Uh, But one of the big differences I find in school now, uh, part of our last year of school was rotations uh, where you did have to work and and you also had to get experience in the field. Uh, Personally, I worked in a hospital on my Christmas breaks and during the summers. Now, a lot of the kids go, they forced to go to school now during the summertime. Uh, so not only do they have to pay tuition, but they don't get a chance to make any money during the summer. And I don't find that they have a lot of experience when they get out of school. Mm, like the young guys that you were hiring, young guys and gals? People coming out of school now don't have the experience. A lot of them haven't worked in any kind of setting at all. And so they get into the healthcare setting and it's a shock to them. I would imagine. And whose interest is it serving really to have them in school that much and paying tuition? It can only serve the the university's interest, right? Well, I think the schooling, schooling is important to get that knowledge. There's no doubt that they have a lot of knowledge. And, but I will tell you that experience in the workforce is way more valuable than what you're going to learn in school. Mm-hmm. Especially nowadays, right? Because you can learn so much online and on YouTube. It's true. I've never seen a pharmacist class, though, on YouTube. Oh, really? They don't have lectures and or you, anything? Uh, no. And you did mention uh, legalized drug dealing. A lot of us in the professional <laughs> field, we don't think that's funny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Um. So, yeah, you're a man of many names, right? You're Chico D in my phone, and you yes. are Sack um, to your college buddies and Farm D at work. <laughs> so you're a man of many I have names. A neighbor, I have a neighborhood nickname also. Uh, oh, what is that? If you want to go for that. Well, when I moved here, uh, some friends that I had made around the corner, their brother, one of their brothers, was, his name was Scott already. And although Scott is younger than me, Scott was around first. So they called him Old Scott, and I'm New Scott. <laughs> You're a man of many names, and that's why I wanted to have you on today. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, I thought we would be light before we get deep um, quickly here. Sure. So I thought I would make some jokes. And um, when I was playing, before I do, when I was playing Juco ball, I don't know if you remember this, but you came to visit me one time. And In Dallas. Yeah, yeah, just outside mm-hmm. of Dallas, yeah, suburb. And when my teammates met you, we were playing cards at my apartment and they thought it was hilarious that you would take things that were said and connect them to rap lyrics like a Dr. Dre song. <laughs> and when you would do that, they would say, oh, my God, you're just like Brad D. Brad D does that, too. <laughs> so when I say we're going to go deep, your first thought is. So deep, so deep. <laughs> yes. So deep, so deep. Yes. Um, you know, it's funny you talked about you talked about music. Uh, you know, I was, I was in the band in high school and in college playing trombone, but I find myself now at this age associating songs with trips or periods of time. Uh, you know, for example, uh, we went up to Seattle a couple of summers ago, and then I ended up going back for a football game. And I remember walking up to the Seahawks stadium to the song Thunder by Imagine Dragons. And now I always associate that song with that trip and what a good time I had. So 
Yeah, that's the power of music, right? It's personal to everyone. And that's why sure. they don't interpret their own songs. They want you to interpret it as what it means to you at the moment in your life when you enjoyed it. Yeah, I wish that I could make music. I have no musical inclination. You got all that talent in the family. So I, th I think one of the greatest things that could ever happen to a person is for them to write a song and have 20,000 people sing it back to them. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, and that high is something that you really miss, I'm sure, when your career is over. I mean, some of them sing like uh, Mick Jagger and people like him are able to sing until they're 70 years old. But probably a lot of them get involved with drugs and stuff because you're not going to replicate that high of being on stage and singing and then having, like you said, having them sing it back to you. Well, what I think happens to those people, too, is just like an actor who is stuck in a part they want to be associated with new stuff and different things. And so musicians want to write new music and be known for something else. Whereas people like us, we want to hear the hits. Mm. Yeah. I went to an Eddie Vedder, Eddie Vedder concert and watched him play the ukulele the whole time. <laughs> yeah. So that's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So you have an incredible story to share from the past week. First, I want to know, aside from the birth of maybe your sons, Luke and Noah, and your daughter, El daughter Ella, is it safe to say that the past week or so has been the most impactful of your life? It's been one of them, yes. It's yeah. been, uh, yes. The, the last week has had a big impact on me. Mm. Why was it so impactful? Tell me the story of what happened to you last week. Well, I am a healthcare professional by trade. So I have been trained in CPR, uh, ACLS, uh, PALS, those all deal with um, cardiac arrest type issues. So on Tuesday of last week, I happened to be at a meeting in Baton Rouge uh, that had to deal with antibiotic stewardship and opioids, which are big topics in the pharmacy world at this time. Mm -hmm. So on the way home, got, got stuck in traffic, got home a little bit earlier than I normally would, and and pulled into my driveway well my little girl always runs outside whenever she's the garage door open because she either thinks it's me or her mom she wants to see who it is so i talked to her for a second and i went to turn and pick up my garbage cans that were outside and i heard a crash and a scream uh as i was walking down the driveway and there was somebody outside next door that I said, man, what was that? And he's like, I don't know. So we ran over to the street, the next street over and found a five-year-old little boy had been run over by a car while riding a motorized uh, motorcycle. Jesus. And what, what were you thinking when you heard the crash? Were you thinking that you would have to do something or were you just going to see what happened? What were your first inclinations? Well, I wanted to see what was going on because I heard somebody screaming. And as I got closer, uh, one of the ladies who had witnessed the accident was, was hysterical. I mean, uh, you know, she was called 911. Uh, I had a driver of the car who had hit the little boy. She's hysterical. Um, it was a lot of chaos, to be honest. Um, so my first instinct was to run to the boy, see 
how he was doing and, you know, start attending to him. Mm -hmm. And so you took control. I mean, you said I, well, I had a car I did. or an SUV. You took control of the situation, right? Um, I did. Was, it, I did. What would I in, the, in regards to that? Um, you know, I had a parent who had come outside who was obviously very upset. His son is laying on the ground. There was a driver of a car who was very upset. There was a witness who was very upset. There were there were little kids outside who were witnessing this who were very upset. Mm -hmm. And so. Um, but number one. Was to take care of the needs of the child um, who when I got there, I was not breathing. The child was not breathing. No, sir. And he was he on a he was on a scooter, right? Right. Okay. And was the scooter on top of him? Yes. When I got there, the scooter was on top of him. Uh, so we we me and me and one of the neighbors we we took the motorcycle off of him, and then laid him on his back so that we could determine whether he was breathing or if he needed um, CPR. Jesus. And what so, did you determine? So, yeah. And I mean, in any kind of instinct, in any kind of situation like that, uh, CPR will help. You want to get the blood flowing through the brain. Now, as somebody who's taken classes, you know, and never said, you know, what's this going to do? And, and so you're, you're trying to blow air into the, the patient's lungs. And then you're trying to push on the, the, the chest to make sure that the blood is flowing uh, to the brain and to the extremities. So, um, I started that and, you know, there's a million things running through your head. Do, uh, am I doing the right number of compressions, you know, breaths, it, it, it's such an instant thing that you, you know, you don't have time to think mm -hmm. you just have to do. And were you doing the right amount? I mean, does that matter all that much? I, I'm going to tell you, talking to some other first responders, that it doesn't matter. You want to get, you want to get the blood flow, and you want to do something. Doing nothing will not help at all. And those few minutes right after are very critical. Why are they critical? Well, you don't want your brain to go without any blood or oxygen for any long amount of time. Mm. So, do you check for a pulse? At the same time, I mean, I'm not in the medical profession, so. Typically, you would check for a pulse. I'm going to tell you my first reaction was to start CPR, pulse or no pulse. Because you, you could tell how bad the accident had been? Well, I, one, of the, one of the issues, um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how much detail I want to go into with, with all the, the, you know, the graphic details, but sure. I, it, he, he was in bad shape when I got there. And were you able to resuscitate him? Well, so we, so with compressions, um, what felt like 30 minutes while waiting for an ambulance slash, you know, first responders to get there. Um, it probably was, was five minutes, but it felt like 30 minutes. Um, I was able to get him to start to come around, um, come back to consciousness and, um, cry and start breathing again so wow. and were you on top of him when he started crying yes whoa unbelievable 
like you you saved that little boy's life did like did I believe i believe i witnessed a miracle there i there is a video of the accident from somebody's home camera and you know anybody who has watched it is just like oh my god he was so lucky he could have been run over by the the tires of the car um because he went underneath the car and was drugged for a few feet um wow. you know the the so the what's even more amazing is you know we had heard that night that he was um you know that he had had a, a fracture and 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 a bleed and this was tuesday and he actually has going home he went home on friday night so to me it, it's 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 like the miracle mm. yeah i i read the article that was published in the baton rouge newspaper where you live and i'll put a link to it in the show notes but yeah the accident was captured on that surveillance camera as you said and it looks like their house is a little elevated from the street so they have a sloping driveway and so the little boy on the scooter was cruising downhill when he entered the street and the timing of him being in the, the middle of the street and the SUV passing by, it was a vicious collision. And you can see in the video that they included in this article um, that neither the SUV or the little boy on the scooter slowed down. And the SUV, as you said, what did it, it dragged him for like 20 or 30 feet after hitting him, right? I mean, that is... Uh, God. Um, were you able to sleep that night? I mean, was your heart racing the rest of the day? Um, I'm sure you were uh, for the boy. So the, mo so the moments after when the, when the police got there and, and the ambulance got there, you know, he had started to come too. So um, there wasn't a, a great sense of urgency for them, I don't think, but because, you know, it looks like he was doing um, fairly good. But I can tell you there were a lot of hugs. Uh, there were a lot of tears. Uh, with the people that were there and I just kind of walked back to my house like a zombie after the, the police told me it was okay to go back and um, I mean I, I, I sat there and, and cried in my garage um, I went inside and, and washed my hands and hugged my kids and cried and uh, you know it's just it was just an overwhelming experience um, I, I hadn't experienced anything quite like that mm. as a you know yeah all your yeah so and i i did um i did take uh benadryl to go to bed that night yes mm. man how old is the boy five years old five and you went to see him the next day at the hospital i went to see him on wednesday yes i i had decided i was not going to work that day that uh it was a little too traumatic for me mm -hmm. and I actually, I, I did go to the doctor uh, uh, pretty much to talk uh, more than, than get medicated, but uh, mm -hmm. I, I did want to talk to somebody about it. Um, and then I did go to the hospital that afternoon. When I got there, he was in the bed. He could talk. And all my worries just went away after that. Mm, what'd you say to him? I said we should get you a helmet. And his daddy said, I got a helmet for him already. Just don't wear it. <laughs> wow. So, uh, 
just lucky. And I, I, I'll always, it, I know his dad referred to me as an angel in the newspaper. I'll always have a connection to that little boy. Um, Did you say you know, an angel? He referred to you as his angel. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I will, will always have a connection, me and him. Um, yeah, it's really incredible. Um, the way I th think about it is like police officers shoot hundreds of rounds at firing ranges to make sure that they're ready when a crisis happens. But this wasn't something you do for a living. You, I mean, have you ever had to perform CPR, basic CPR on anyone? I may have done it a time or two in the hospital, relieving other folks. Mm -hmm. um, Cause sometimes codes will go on for long periods of time and, and people need relief from, from doing compression. So, uh, but those are controlled settings. This was out in the street. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, while you're doing it, you're hearing repeated screams of, Oh my God. Oh my, Oh my God. You can hear it on the video. Um, when you when you hurried over to the scene, everybody around you, I'm sure, was emotional, and that just adds to uh, how you provided exactly what the boy needed in a time of high emotion. And I'm sure you felt emotions too when you saw that little boy on the ground. Like, how were you able to harness your own emotion emotions to provide exactly what that boy needed? Did you feel like what? Tell me what you felt in those moments. I just felt like I had to do this. I, I was going to do that. I was going to do compressions on this child until somebody told me to stop. Mm. And is that, that's what you're supposed to do until he comes yes. to you? Yeah. Yes. Okay. I, and, but in normal, in normal cases, you would have relief or, you know, two people doing it yeah. or hoping that the, the, the fireman got there and could take over and, so adrenaline and focus is what you felt probably. I, I didn't panic in this yeah. situation and that, that helped. Mm -hmm. It's an incredible story. I think that there are circumstances in life where people are exposed as cowards or heroes, which implies that heroes aren't born or made, they're exposed, right? Um, and then well, whether you go, go ahead. Let's compare it. I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but to no. compare it to um, athletics, something we both enjoy also. You know, there are some people who will take the last shot or want to come up with two outs in the ninth and a chance to win it. Yeah. And then there are other people who would prefer not to. That's it, right? And whether you cower in a time of need or act decisively and you're the one who wants the ball in your hand, as you did. I think most of that is determined by whether you can steady your emotions in the face of an intense moment or tragedy in, in your case. I mean, it's a lot different what you face versus Michael Jordan down by two in a regular season game, you know? Yeah. I remember what I was going to say, you know, that in that in this instance, uh, the little boy, he needed me. And I think from uh, a mental standpoint, I needed him also. He did something to me, I think, that is going to help me for the rest of my life also. I like that. Yeah, I imagine this experience will add a few new elements to your inventory 
in understanding who you are and I, yeah, I can only imagine like the confidence and humility that you get from this and, and the things in life that are, you'll see them as trivial. I imagine by comparison, you'll have a new sense of proportion. Is that along the lines of what you're thinking? Exactly, Brad. After, um, on Saturday, I, I went to talk to family and I wanted to say hello. Ella had brought a little card for him. And so he came out and talked and again, me and me and the dad, um, you know, he we tear up when we talk to each other because it, it was just such an emotional time and we had kind of ridden around the neighborhood and one of my neighbors who I hadn't talked to in a long time because of some some trivial differences texted me and said uh, hey man stop by on your way around and so I stopped and I talked to him and on the way out I said man you know this this whole situation puts a different perspective on life for me. And I said, I, I'd like to come around here more often if that's okay. And he says, we're good, man. You're welcome anytime. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The respect and appreciation that you're getting as a result of your leadership role in the community is showing. That's what I think. And it's great to see. Do you think this experience will be a platform for you to potentially educate and prepare other people that may not be ready if something like this were to happen to them? Well, here's, here's what I'd like to see. Um, you know, my middle son, Noah, is a Boy Scout, and the Boy Scout motto is to be prepared. And this situation that we had last week, I felt like I was prepared for it. Mm -hmm. And that is a perfect time to teach these kids about it. They take first aid, and they should be able to apply themselves if and when they need to do it. Uh, you know, our hospital offers CPR classes, safe sitter classes. These are all things that that people can use. There's no reason why uh, a person in each household can't be CPR certified just in case something like this happens. Um, you know, are you CPR certified, Brian? No, I think I was when I was a lifeguard, but that was 20 years ago. Okay. Okay. You still probably have the techniques of what to do in case something like that happened. But, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of families where that's not. And, you know, what do you do in that situation if somebody you know, hits their head or, or stops breathing? Yeah, I, as I said earlier, I was concerned that I wouldn't know how many pumps to do and how many breaths. So, and, right. and losing track of the count, like you said. So that's, that's why I asked whether it was important or not. Most people have a fire extinguisher in their residence. Mm-hmm for in case something happens. I, I think this is a good example of something you could also use in case something happens. Yeah, that's good advice. Do you think most hospitals offer this type of training like yours does? I think they do. I, I know our hospital has CPR classes strictly for the community, dedicated to the community. So, uh, you know, you have your healthcare provider classes and then you have some for um, the community also. Uh, you know, another thing I would say also, we've discussed now in our neighborhood having speed bumps for safety. And I would also say that a lot of people are distracted when they're driving. And I have no proof that this happened in this case. But I think we're all guilty of distracted driving from time to time. And again, this is this is an example of where we can discuss it and say, hey, look, you know, 
you get into neighborhoods and, and put your phone down. I mean, there can't be anything that important that needs to happen there. Yeah, and I think people are probably more likely to use their phone in neighborhoods because they think it's a safer environment. But yeah, there's a lot of kids where you live and you probably have signs up that say, please slow down and it's not enough sometimes. Sure. Think about when we were kids. How often were we riding our bikes in the street? Yeah. Yeah. And when CD players came out, people were talking about, oh, with these CD players, you're going to have distracted driving. And nowadays you got people sending emails with paragraphs while they're driving. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So you talked about your perspective being changed. Talk to me about that. Like, in what ways do you think you see the world differently now going forward? Personally, I worry about a lot of stuff. Uh, I inherited a lot of that, I believe, from from people in our family. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of stuff you can't control. There's no sense worrying about it. You know, what, what, what good does it do for me to worry about something I have no control over? That's exactly um, right. Yeah. And, you know, there are people that either I work with or I know who I might say, man, I, I don't care for this person. I don't want to talk to this person. And, and sometimes that's okay. But to at least reach out and try and to be a nice person, I just, I think that's something I'd like to focus on being that I had somebody that I hardly even knew this little boy. I knew of him, but not, I didn't know him and his parents. And now, you know, we'll always be friends because mm -hmm. of what happened here. So you said earlier that you and I are big sports fans, right? You probably even more so than me, possibly, you think? I, I do like sports. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the reasons we play sports, and I have encouraged parents to get their kids involved in sports, is because of all the life lessons, which can be derived from playing sports, especially team sports. Um, mm -hmm. But not all kids are interested in sports, right? Yours weren't. What sorts of activities did you get them involved in instead? Well, first of all, I don't think we were pushed as kids. And sometimes I wish I would have been pushed further. Uh, I thought I was decent at a number of things, but never pushed to be great at anything. And my sons are, they do karate, which I'm more than pleased with. One has gone through and gotten his black belt. And I think that's a great accomplishment for him. He just recently started ROTC in ninth grade and he loves it. He's talking about going into the Navy and I will push him. If he wants to be in that, I will push him as hard as I can for him to be successful in that. Uh, my middle son is in Boy Scouts and karate, and I'm going to push him to get as far as he can into Scouts. I want him to be an Eagle Scout. and you know the way we were brought up we were into sports for my son to come home and say that i want to be in boy scouts was one of my worst nightmares mm. because i don't know how to pitch a tent i don't know how to hunt i don't know how to start a fire i don't know how to do any of that now over the last five years i've learned how to do it he's taught me a bunch mm. and i went from not knowing anything about scouts to you know being assistant den leader and and troop committee member. So <laughs> it's interesting how what your, what your kids can do for you in those regards. And as a theme to this talk here, 
kids have done a lot for me. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. What lessons have your kids learned, do you think? Like what, what would be the biggest takeaway from being in karate and being in Boy Scouts? Because most of my friends, you know, their kids play sports. And, and like you said, you were scared when your son said he wanted to be in Boy Scouts. I would be too. So what, uh, what, what is the biggest takeaway? What's the difference between uh, doing that and doing sports? Because, you know, in sports, well, you, you learn to deal with failure and you learn how to lift people up and be a good teammate. What, how does that, what's different in karate and Boy Scouts? Well, karate, karate is an individual deal, but your classes are all with other individuals. So they've, they've learned that through karate. You know, they, one of their lessons is not to misuse what they've learned in class. Mm. And they don't, I mean, you know, they don't do it like that, but it's taught them self-discipline. It's taught them to exercise. Whereas, you know, a lot of that you'd be getting, whether you, when you were playing football, baseball, basketball, Mm -hmm. um you know scouts scouts is just it's like a brotherhood for them it's a bunch of uh, boys get together camp cook and grow up mm -hmm. and i think that's that's probably about the same thing you would do in sports also you know yeah a lot of camaraderie is there a lot of talk about preparing so like one of my favorite guys in the finance world is Charlie Munger. He says even more important than the will to win is the will to prepare. Is that something that the Boy Scouts teach? Well, there's a list of things you have to pack every week before you go. You have to be prepared to cook. You have to be prepared in case it rains. You have to be prepared to set up shelter in case it's lightning or any of that stuff. So, yeah, Boy Scouts is the ultimate preparation organization. Yeah. Are you going to have a talk with your Boy Scout son about what happened this past week and the importance of preparation as it pertains to something like that? I mean, that would be preparation writ large on a, on a grand scale, right? As big yeah, as yeah. Well, he's he's. We already did have a talk um, the night of. So, mm. and just said, man, look, you know, you need to pay attention when you're riding your bike. Um, you know, you have to be careful. You can't just not pay attention because something can happen and change your life in an instant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very good, man. I want to ask questions about what you do for a living. Is that okay? Sure. Cool. All right. So you are a director of pharmacy, right? Yes. And you were named the Louisiana Society of Health System Pharmacists. Um, Louisiana Pharmacist of the Year, right? One year, 2013. Is that right? I, actually, it was the Louisiana Pharmacist Association, um, which I'm a member of that. And I'm also a member of, of LSHP, which you talked about before. Um, I've actually, I've been member of the year for both of those organizations, actually. Very cool. So what is a day in the life of one of the top pharmacists in the state of Louisiana? Kind of walk me through your day. <laughs> Start when you wake up. Um, you know, what time do you eat breakfast? I know your hours probably vary from a nine to five, but just kind of talk me through that. I'm curious. It, it depends. Uh, there is shift work sometimes depending on our staff and model. We work in a small hospital, so uh, we do rotate around. Uh, usually I have somebody that comes in at six in the morning and they'll work till 2.30 and somebody that's there from 10.30 uh, in the morning till or 12.30 to 9 p.m. So, uh, 
and healthcare doesn't shut down on the weekends also. So people are there in our department uh, on the weekends. Uh, a lot of what we do is we provide the medicine for you while you're in the hospital. Um, if you were, if you were admitted to a hospital, let's say you had some uh, pneumonia, uh, you know, you're going to come in, the pharmacy is going to make your IV fluids. They're going to, uh, make your antibiotics that you're going to get, um, typically via the, the intravenous route. Um, so we do that. Uh, we browns on our patients to make sure their medications are proper. Um, there's a lot of calculations that go on depending on on how your health is you know a lot of times uh, people have kidney disease they have congestive heart failure and a lot of times medications uh, are affected by those disease states so we do a lot of adjustment with those type of things uh, our hospitals just started filling uh, prescriptions for employees at the hospital so that takes up a good part of our day uh, as director i do go to a lot of meetings and try to implement policies and new programs that we're trying to do. Um, I did mention a couple of things that are big in our profession right now, which is antibiotic stewardship. We're trying to get people used to not asking for antibiotics every time they don't feel good. You know, a lot of people have viruses and what's going to happen in future generations is that they're not going to, everything's going to be resistant, all these bugs, and you're not going to be able to treat them with antibiotics. And, uh, there's going to be issues with that. Uh, another hot topic is, is opioids and, and people um, trying to cut down on the amount of prescriptions and, and people uh, alternative therapies to opioids. So that's another big topic in our, uh, in our profession now. And when you say it's a big topic, is it something that you have weekly meetings about? Uh, typically, a lot of our meetings are quarterly. Mm. So once a quarter, typically what you're trying to do in healthcare a lot is you're trying to collect data. Mm -hmm. You're trying to see what your habits are, how your physicians prescribe, uh, and then collect data and present and show them, say, hey, look, this is what's going on at our facility. And then find ways. We don't ever want to eliminate, like you don't want to eliminate any of these things, but uh, reductions are possible, we think, when protocols are followed and adjustments are made. Mm -hmm. When you say habits, are you talking about habits of the patient or habits of the medical professionals? Both of them. Okay. Both of them. I, I, I work in a community where, uh, and, and I think this is all over the place where people, if you go to the doctor, you expect the prescription. Yeah. A lot of people are that way. Yeah. Sure. And it's not always necessary. Yeah. Yeah, I always say, like, if I'm a doctor, the first thing I would ask is, like, how much sleep do you average, did you average the past week? Tell me about your diet. Um, how many days did you exercise this week? Have you forced mm -hmm. yourself to do anything that others might be unwilling to do? In what way did you make yourself of service to others this week? Like, all of that. Like, tell me about your habits. It's the same thing with hiring. You know, my buddies that are hiring people right now, I'm like, dude, number one question, ask about their habits and let them talk. Mm -hmm. Um, there's so much that you can find out about somebody that way. That's kind of why I asked you about yours. I wanted to know like what time you get up and whether you eat breakfast and, um, but you gave me more of the big picture, but that's good. Well, my, well, personally, 
I typically get up around 4.30, quarter to five. I go down to my friend Peter's house down the street. Mm-hmm. We, we exercise for a good 35, 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then I get on with my day. I usually eat breakfast after I get to work. <laughs> cool. Are you a coffee drinker or no? I do not. I have not drank coffee in 42 years. And you are I don't 42, like it. right? Born in the bicentennial? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I feel 42. <laughs> cool. Um, so if you had to, if you were coming out of high school now and you knew you had to go through seven years of schooling, would you still have chosen your profession? I would tell you no. Because? It's a long time. Mm. Uh, I know kids that are in tremendous debt from student loans going to pharmacy school. Um, it seems to me like if I, if I had to go to school for that long, you should go to medical school. Mm. That's interesting. Are you familiar with CBD oil? Do you guys talk about that at all at work? <laughs> it's been in the news here recently. Yes. Cause there are talks of whether it's legal or not or oh. should be controlled or not. And what is the talk? What do they think? I, I saw emails about it. I, I, I'd, be, I'd be lying to you if I knew all of the details about it because I don't typically see that in my practice. Because you're in a hospital, I guess? Correct. Correct. Do you have an opinion on it? Because it's being sold as a cure-all for any and all ailments. <laughs> have, it doesn't have, have seen THC, THC the, the psychoactive component. It's not like, it doesn't do to you what marijuana does. It doesn't have a high or anything. Yeah, I, I'd have to do more research. Yeah. But have you ever seen the, the, the Chris Rock skit where he talks about his mama would take some Robitussin and rub it on it mm-hmm. to make him feel better? Yeah. I mean, that's hilarious. Robitussin is a cough syrup. You don't rub it on your body to make you feel better. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, good point. So, so, uh, so cure alls. I, I have a hard time believing in something that cures everything that ails you. Yeah. Besides the things maybe that I interest, I um, I mentioned exercise and sleep, and I mean doctors almost never ask about that stuff. Maybe they can tell. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, they've seen thousands of people in their life. They don't need to ask those questions, perhaps. But you, they need to you before know, they write a script. Yeah. And, you know, medical practice, uh, um, there are guidelines and things that happen to most people that they can treat. And it'll happen that way for, you know, 95% of the people. But you know, there's always chances that, that it will react differently to different people. So true or false. This is a fun pharmacy question before I go into financial independence and self-development, what the blog is about, but I wanted to keep you in your comfort zone as long as possible. So this is a fun one in pharmacy school. Did you have a poster on your dorm room wall of a woman taking her shirt off that said, take two of these and call me in the morning? False. (laughs) So as you know, on manoverseas.com, I write about financial independence and self-development. So I'll ask you a few questions about each, starting with financial independence. What is the first stock you ever purchased? I bought a single stock 
right out of school that was called WorldCom stock. Wow. And I believe I invested about $2,500 in WorldCom stock. And how much did that grow? It did not. No, fact, I, it, I knew that. That's WorldCom. In fact, it, it, in fact it, it went down to zero. But, yeah. um, you know, a little bit about when I was in college, uh, you know, flipping the channels back in school while well, I was in pharmacy school, this, the NASDAQ and, and the, uh, the Dow Jones every day was in the green. It seemed like from every year I was in school, people invested and people made money. And I couldn't wait to get out of school and start doing that. And it's probably one of the reasons why I tried to buy that stock. And I graduated school in 99, probably got into the workforce in late that year or early 2000. And do you remember what happened the year after that? I do. Yes. 9-11. And so we watched all of that money just crumble in the, in the few weeks after that. And it came back. But, you know, while we were in school, the stock market was just up and up and up and up and up. And it didn't happen like that when I got out of school. Yeah. Yeah. You probably couldn't wait to get out of school to start investing. Um, did you sure. dabble in, in, in um, individual stocks after that or no? No. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think I've bought an individual stock since that. Wow. That's interesting. Okay. So switching from investing to spending, what is the best money you've ever spent? Maybe your favorite purchase of the last one to three years. It could be in any amount. The best money I ever spent was I bought a ticket to the 2009 NFC Championship game between the Saints and the Minnesota Vikings. Mm. I sat by myself in the 10th row of the upper deck, mm -hmm. and I watched my team make it to the Super Bowl. Wow. And people were crying, I heard, right? There was some tears shed. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's cool. Do you remember what that ticket cost you? 500 bucks. Wow. That's cool. And it was worth every, I mean, worth way more than $500 since they won, right? I never thought twice about that money I spent. It was, the, it was so awesome. That's it, folks. Spend your money on experiences, not things. Yes. Very cool. Okay, switching to self-development. And I'll ask you a question about being married, because a lot of my listeners are at the age where they're about to get married or they've been married less than, say, 10 years. And you, you've you been married for how long? I also got married in 2001. So I've been married. It'll be 18 years this year. Mm. Okay. Wow. That's been a long time. It doesn't seem like that long. Okay. Wow, so my son's you, 15. My son's just turned 15. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> if you were to write a book called How to Be a Better, a Better Husband, what would you call the book or what would you include as one of the chapters? So when I started to work on my career, I was about 31, 32 years old, and I decided that I didn't want to be a staff pharmacist. I wanted to be an administrator. Mm -hmm. And so I took a job that encompass a lot of my time mm. and I came home tired I came home aggravated and but I had to pay dues and 
what I look back and think of now is I missed a lot of my middle son early years growing up and I didn't help a whole lot around the house in regards to some of the household chores. Um, you know, I kind of took for granted that dinner would be on the table, but what I've learned now over the years that if, if I, if my wife will cook, I need to, I need to clean up. I need to pick up the dishes. I need to wash the dishes. So I do a ton of dishwashing, um, you know, folding towels, things like that. I mean, it, it's, it's hard. I have a friend of mine right now who has a job where he travels all the time. And, uh, he was telling me how his son had missed a boy scout meeting on Monday and the wife quickly chimed in. Yeah. It's really hard being a single parent sometimes. And I was like, Ooh, that's tough. Hmm. Well, what could they do? Could he dial back and, and maybe not provide as big of a house? I mean, you know, everybody drives a fancy car in America. Everybody it's that we know. The, it's, it's the sacrifices that are up to you. What's more important? And I believe that this friend is going to take a job that does not entail traveling as much. Mm. It always sounds good financially. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like that in my younger days too, man. I, I wanted to work my way up. And then I found a job that was a perfect balance of home, work, and money. And that's where I am. And I hope to stay there. I like that. Yeah, it's all about balance. And your wife works yeah. too, correct? My sister in law. She does. Yeah. She has she has also worked on her career, which helped me, which I needed to step back a little bit and start to help more because she wanted to advance her nursing degree also. And and she went ahead and got her master's last year in mm-hmm. nursing. So nice. but that meant me doing a little more than I was used to around the house also. Yeah. Are you grateful to mom and dad for raising us in Catholicism? Yes, I, we do raise our kids Catholic Mm -hmm. and I do like the Catholic religion and and structure. Um, And in regards to raising us, I'm very thankful that our parents gave us the foundation to be successful people. Mm. Um, They're not without faults and we're not without faults, but that foundation that we were provided is so important. And you see so many people that have not had that foundation. And I think that's where you find issues in the world, to be honest, Uh, Mm. you know, that foundation that was provided for us was solid. And that's allowed us to become who we are today. I couldn't agree more. Yep. Good. On that, let me um, ask you some quick questions. You don't, your answers don't have to be quick if you don't want, but here it goes. What is your, who is your favorite college football team? LSU. Yeah, I figured. Okay. So you live in a little um, town outside of Baton Rouge called Prairieville, and there are Lots of diehard LSU fans. Which game, which LSU game has affected you the most through the years? Uh, The best LSU game I ever went to was 
Well, I could list the top five, really, if I wanted to. Uh, <laughs> top two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in 1997, when LSU beat number one Florida and we got to rush the field, mm. that was unbelievable mm-hmm. because we weren't good. And then probably the 2007 game against Florida. Uh, if you remember that game, Jacob, Jacob Hester uh, had – run on fourth down like eight times for first downs and and they beat Tim Thibault and uh they also announced that USC had lost during that game and it was just the loudest game I'd ever been a part of it was so awesome Mm. and you've gone to a bunch of away games too right I've gone to a few yeah yeah which part and it doesn't have to be a college town but which part of America do you wish everyone could visit outside of Louisiana and why I love the I love the Pacific Northwest. Ah, interesting you say that because I have not been there. <laughs> and I, why? I love it. Um, I was able to travel up there for a few times due to work. And although a lot of the beliefs of the people are probably different for me, it is such a, a beautiful area. Uh, for instance, the Mississippi River down here is used for industry and you know, it's not taken care of. It's the it's the muddy, the big muddy. You go to, up there to the Columbia River between Portland and Washington. It's crystal clear blue. There's no industry on it. It's all protected nature-wise. And it's just like, wow. Mm. Uh, I've been up there during the summertime here in Louisiana in August. It's 100 degrees with 100% humidity. And you go up there and it's 75 degrees with a breeze. And you're like, mm. wow. But I haven't been up there a whole lot during the winter time, and that's probably why we live here. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean Chicago and Calgary. There are some places I've been that I'm like, why don't I live here? But I'm always told that six months out of the year it's miserable. You can't even go outside. Yeah, yeah, and it's like that during the summertime here. So, uh, but I just the Pacific Northwest is just a really, really beautiful part of the country. Mm. Cool. Yeah, I'll have to visit. Last let's question. Go. What did, yeah, let's go. You know, you and I used to take baseball trips, right? We've been to Fenway and Camden Yards and Wrigley. Um, we should probably start doing that again. That was fun. Uh, I'm, I'm down. To be honest with you, what I would really like to do is I'd like to go to a couple of different places. I'd like to see a Duke basketball game mm-hmm. in Cameron indoor. It doesn't have to be against North Carolina or something, but I, I, I'd like to go and see that. I'd like to go to Michigan and see a game there that I'm not that I don't have a rooted interest in mm-hmm. I, I definitely would like to see a lot of those places because they're all unique mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's true you might want to do it before coach k moves on huh? or will he be be there forever yeah uh, look I, I definitely would like to check some of those places out yeah last question what did you think when I asked you to be on the man overseas podcast Why did it take so long? <laughs> There's only been six of them. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I was honored because uh, I knew you wanted to talk about uh, some important things in regards to me and, and, it, and how, uh, you know, something like this can help people. Um, and so it's an honor to be able to do that kind of stuff. Awesome. 
Well, I appreciate you doing it. Thank you for sharing your experience. I know it's probably hard to talk about um, sharing your knowledge. This was informative and it was inspirational. I will certainly get CPR, re-CPR certified if I need to. If I can learn it on YouTube, I'll do that too, though. Um, yeah, because I just <laughs> Yo, can't you imagine. Need the, do, go ahead. You need to get the CPR card from the American Heart Association. Okay. All right. Well, then I will. I can't imagine if something were to happen to one of my kids someday or one of your kids and I was in the vicinity and I didn't have the knowledge or training to be able to do something. So I will be prepared. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Also, I've talked on other podcasts about um, there's a friend of mine that you know who lost his brother um, not too long ago, and it was devastating for him. And his brother was the guy that he would text during games like the Florida game when LSU upset Florida and the Jacob Hester game that you were talking about and like the seven overtime game versus A&M this past year. And he doesn't have that anymore. And so it's hard for me to imagine not having, you know, he lost his only brother, but you're that guy for me. You're the guy that I texted with during the A&M game this year, how heart-wrenching that was. So, um, you know, we went through tough times as kids. Um, and I like that you brought up our Catholic up upbringing. That certainly helped to pull us through those tough times. Um, tough times continued, uh, continued after, you know, we were separated prematurely and I was forced to move. Um, and then I like that you spoke positively about our parents because we do love them and we all make mistakes. And, but I'm really proud of you because you had to go first. And I remember being in high school and college and it was a popular thing in Houston when it was a popular thing for parents to have a bumper sticker that said, my kid and my money go to whatever university. And I'll just say that our parents didn't have one of those. So you went first and you made it through and you made something of yourself. And it always made me want to make something of myself too. And so although I maybe didn't express it in a roundabout way, and I know I told you this in my wedding, but I always wanted to impress you. And I know you may, you may know this, you may not, but I remember your home runs better than my own. And every time I would walk into your room when I was a kid, I would look up at that home run ball at the top of your shelf. You remember that trophy shelf that you had in the corner of your room? I did. And it, it's easier to remember all of my home runs, Brad, because I only had one. <laughs> yeah, well, they were impact. No, well, I should say this then. I remember the times that you hit the fence. Is that fair? No, there you go. I, yeah. did. I was a warning track guy. You came so close so many times, and then you finally got that one. And I'm telling you, I remember that better than any home run that I ever hit. So anyway, yeah, it's just it's a special thing to have in life where you there's just a level of comfort you have with your blood where you can text him during at any time. So I just want to say thank you for being part of my life. And I love you, man. And thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you, man. Look, you were you were. From when I was 15, 14 years old, you were my, uh, I was your biggest fan. I, we tried to make every game we possibly could. And it's so much different when you have 
somebody to pull for, much less a team to pull for, but somebody actually in there to pull for. And, and we enjoyed that so much. And, you know, we've been able to, to grow up now and, and, you know, we have our differences of opinion and, but we're always, we're always be brothers and nobody can ever take that away from us. Indeed. A chat between two brothers or a chat between a younger brother and now a hero. Great job, Jake. I'm proud of you, man. This is awesome. Thank you, man. Well, maybe, maybe we can do this again sometime. It won't, it won't take a, a, a traumatic event to, to discuss. That sounds good. We'll close on that. Thank you for joining us today. I realize you could be listening to anything right now, but you chose to be here with us, and I appreciate it. So thank you. If you're not already subscribed to the blog, please do so. Also, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. I am at man underscore overseas. Thank you, folks. <laughs>